0: Thank you for coming out. 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 Welcome. My name is Dubs Weinblatt. My pronouns are they, them, theirs, and I am so excited to be here. In 2015, I founded the Queer Improv Show, Thank You for Coming Out, or Tifco as we call it, and it is now one of the longest-running queer improv shows in New York City. During the show, our storytellers share their coming-out stories, and then our improvisers bring them to life. Our podcast is a little different. We still have a storyteller share their stories, but instead of folks improvising, we talk about them. And this particular episode is different. We are recording during the COVID-19 pandemic while physically distancing, which means we are not in the same room and we are not using our professional audio equipment. So we're recording over Zoom. So the audio might be a little bit different than what you're used to, but we are all just doing the best we can with what we have. And I am so thrilled about our guests that we have here with us today. Carmelin P. Malalis, she, her pronouns, was appointed chair and commissioner of the New York City Commission on Human Rights the city agency tasked with combating discrimination in New York City in 2014 following more than a decade in private practice as an advocate for employees' rights in the workplace. Prior to her appointment, Commissioner Malalis was a partner at Outen and Golden LLP, where she co-founded and co-chaired its lesbian, gay, bisexual, and transgender workplace rights practice group. While in the private sector, she worked with several organizations on amicus briefs, pro bono, and other projects, including Lambda Legal, the National Center for Lesbian Rights, the ACLU and its local affiliates, the Sylvia Rivera Law Project, the Transgender Legal Defense and Education Fund, the NAACP Legal Defense and Education Fund, the Lawyers Committee for Civil Rights Under Law, and others. She has served on a number of boards and advisory groups, including the New York City Bar Association's Executive Committee and its Committee on LGBTQ Rights, Human Rights Watch's Advisory Committee of the LGBT Rights Project, the Committee on Diversity in the Legal Profession of the American Bar, Associati- Bar Association's Section on Labor and Employment Law, and the Board of Queers for Economic Justice. I am winded. Carmelin, welcome. It's so nice to see you. Thanks for having me, Dubs. Yes, I'm so, I'm so happy you're here. You are, you are so busy I'm winded just from reading your bio. How do you have to <laughs> do all <of> this? <laughs> um,
1: you know, I think life is busy in general, but, you know, something I've recognized is it has been an especially busy time for people who believe in human rights. Yeah. So um, one, I, am, I feel very privileged to be able to be doing that work professionally and also to be doing the work with so many other people Who are just, you know, putting everything they have to make sure that, you know, on a range of different categories, people's human rights are being protected. So Mm
0: -hmm. that's amazing. I cannot complain. Yeah. Um okay, so I had asked for you to bring an object that reminds you of pride or fills you with pride, and I'm curious what you brought. So, you know, I changed what I was going to I
1: originally was going to bring one thing. And then uh, just two days ago, um, you know, I have two daughters, I have a seven-year-old and a 10-year-old and we are in deep preparations for Halloween and, mm-hmm. and uh, costuming. And um, while, my, while my wife was helping one of them get some costuming together, my seven-year-old also picked up these rainbow bracelets for our entire family. And whenever my kids do the you know th- something like that it always gives me a really warm feeling inside because when we when they were when they were even younger whenever they would see a rainbow flag they would say oh my god it's our family flag.
0: Like oh. they did it
1: <laughs> So oh my gosh the first the first pride parade that they marched in um, you know and they've now marched completely from the beginning to end of I think three or four, which is a lot for these little ones, yeah, but the first one I remember they they saw all the the pride flags, and they were like, everyone's waving our family flag <laughs> <laughs> at us with the family flag, and um and I just love that, so i I chose and said i to bring this
0: I love that so much, yeah. and I love how little kids' brains work oh I was my like God, that's our that. family flag <laughs> yes
1: yes they but they felt so welcomed, yeah. You know, Cause they were, you know, they were marching and they were like, everyone has our, everyone's welcoming us with our family flag. So.
0: That's so special. I love that so much. <laughs> um, I wore a t-shirt that says we are all in this together. Well said, well said. Which just it reminds, you know, all of the work that you are doing to create equity among all humans. And we met um, doing a workshop uh, for the transformation 2020 uh, conference of, you know, encouraging young folks to use their voices and vote and, you know, bring, bring everyone together. So yep. this shirt just kind of, kind of solidified all of that for me. So that's, that's my part. Love it. Love it. Thanks. Um, so we all have multiple coming out stories, um, and I'm inviting you to please share with us one of yours. One of mine. Yeah.
1: So, um, so I am now 46. I was like, am I forty-six? Or am I forty-seven? <laughs> I'm forty-six. I came out to, um I came out really to myself and to a handful of friends and to my parents and my sister when I was 16. And um it was it was an interesting process in that I had, you know, one of my best friends when I was younger was a um a Filipino guy who was just a year older than me. And we hung out and we did a lot of things together. And um, we already kind of had a special bond because we grew up in an area of New Jersey that at the time was very Irish, Polish, Italian, Catholic, but very white. And most people had no idea what Filipinos were. And there were not yet very many Um, Filipinos or Filipinx or other, you know, now there's a lot of South Asians in that same area, but there, it was not that way when I grew up. And so also little kids would sometimes make fun of us because of our API identity, like, you know, call us different names or slant their eyes. So we Mm. were very close for, for many different reasons. And, um, yeah, I you know this. I it, it all go comes down to this one afternoon where we basically went to like a local McDonald's. We hung out there for like I don't know hours. At the end of which we both decided, oh my god, we're we're gay. <laughs> oh, <wow. laughs> I if I say that, I mean obviously there was a lot of inner thought that went into it, but I loved how I I just thinking back. To those two young people, going to a fast food restaurant like just kind of an everyday thing that people do, having teenage conversation, like so many people do, and how lucky I was that I had the comfort of had having this other person, um, who I felt close to, that we could kind of come into this together. Mm-hmm. So when people ask about different coming out stories, sometimes I, I focus on what happened, you know, the the conversations I had with my family or with some of the friends at the time. But right now, just for whatever reason, that is the, that is the image that popped up for me.
0: I love that. Thanks for sharing. Um, I have, I have some follow-up questions. I, there were so many moments when I was in high school and, and part of college before I came out where I wanted to share with a friend how, like my identity and what I was feeling and the struggling that I was going through and was so terrified that I would lose that friend or that they would out me to other people. So I kept it really close. And I'm wondering like what it was in that conversation with your friend that kind of gave you the the green light or gave your friend the green light. Like, actually this is a safe person that I can share this with. Was it like testing the waters or or what Do you remember? Well, I think it was, like
1: I said, I think it was that we had both experienced the effects of being different
0: mm-hmm.
1: in another space, being you know Asian American in this very you know white space, and also our families were very similar. So, you know, um, both of our our parents were immigrants from the Philippines, very religious. So we both grew up Roman Catholic, and you know we had gone to Catholic school together actually for uh, you know for eight years together. That's how we met. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I think the safety was also thinking about the effects that that type of announcement or that revelation would have in our personal lives. Mm
0: -hmm. So it
1: was a shared feeling of probably a combination of things, probably fear as to how it would land on our families, um, comfort that, oh my goodness, we're both, you know, we're both realizing this at the same time. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I look back and I think too, that um, in my lifetime, I think I've been very fortunate in that I've had very close friends who are, um, you know, at the time when I was younger, boys and girls, and then, you know, now men and women. Um, So close relationships um, uh, in that way. And, And now as an adult, you know, I I have close relationships with men, women, non-binary folks, etc. But when when I was younger, you know, I think that I was probably more fearful of telling my my friends who were girls
0: mm-hmm. about
1: it because I was fearful that if I told them that they would think, oh my god, you know, it it would affect the nature of our relationship because they would be wondering if our closeness meant something else. Mm-hmm. Um, so I feel very fortunate actually that I had that friend who I actually have not spoken to in decades. I would love to, to track him down.
0: Oh, if you do, let me know. Um, I love a, a nice reunion. Um, were there, um, and we can talk a lot more about religion in this conversation, but I'm wondering if, um. If growing up Roman Catholic and especially, you know, in meeting this friend at school, um, if religion played a part in any kind of like fear or, um, or I I don't know, I was going to, the word that came to mind is guilt or, you know, whatever Uh it might be to that kind of You know, I have to say, and I think that this,
1: you know, again, so I remain a very um, spiritual as well as religious person. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, we're raising our two girls um, in the Catholic church as well, uh, which is sometimes challenging, you know, and, um, but I will tell you that I, I kind of credit my spirituality with the fact that I didn't feel any guilt, so I'll use your word, I didn't feel any guilt at all. Because I was so and remained so in the belief that, you know, God made me, God made me as I am. God loves me as I am. And there is a reason. There are reasons that anybody has the identity characteristics that they, they have. And so I never, I was never, um, Held back by guilt, and I know a lot. I've had a lot of friends um, of different faiths, whether it's Roman Catholic or Jewish or Muslim or Sikh or what have you, that I think have been have in their lives at different times felt very held back by feelings of of guilt or other or other things associated with their religion, right, as opposed to spirituality. I never experienced any of that. If anything, my my faith made me feel, gave, gave me the strength to feel like this is this is how it should be. If I felt sad at all or guilt, it was more about thinking about how my parents, how difficult it would be for my parents to hear the news and to understand it, and knowing that there was a lot of work ahead of me in in helping them to understand that.
0: Mm-hmm that's i think it's so great that you had this clarity around spirituality and religion um that it actually was a helpful tool for you because <laughs> it was not religion was not that for me so my my experience with Judaism was very fraught and very i it was this complicated thing because i love being jewish and i love the idea of Judaism and you know, kuno lum repair the world, and to show up for one another, and justice, Um, and yet how I saw it in practice in my communities were we won't marry same-gender couples, you know, I mean, this was in Mm -hmm. the 80s and the early 90s when that was still a thing, Um, and not seeing any out adults in my community, and really just receiving the messages, whether I realize it or not, which I don't think I not consciously of how binary and how gendered Judaism and lots of religions are. Right. And so not seeing myself as a genderqueer person reflected in this tradition um, was really tough for me. And I'm still kind of navigating healing and coming back to my Jewish identity because that, I wish it could be a source of strength. And, and it, it is, you know, slowly becoming that, but it's, I still have moments of, I don't know how I feel about this. You
1: know, I, I said earlier it's not always like when we're raising our children Catholic and in the Catholic Church, right? Which is sometimes challenging for me, or oftentimes challenging for me, in that, uh, you know, the Catholic Church is still incredibly, of course, patriarchal.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And um, you know, I, I do sell, I do separate religion and spirituality. I will say the religion was such a a source of structure for me as a child growing up and for me the way i was taught about so this for me was kind of a a mixture of religion and spirituality you know my parents really um really taught us the the ideas of reaching out to the most vulnerable you know the, the 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 part of the bible talking about you know welcoming the stranger sort of thing um, making sure that the outcasts, those are the people that we need, that need our love, that we need to be reaching out to, that, that frankly, Jesus felt the most comfortable with, right? And so even though we're now raising our children in, in, in that faith tradition, and I very much like the church, we have found a great church. Um, what is challenging is that there are still spaces in it that Are probably the most patriarchal spaces that I ever bring my kids into. Like when my older daughter was um, going through her sacraments of, uh, you know, uh, Eucharist as well as reconciliation. So for for reconciliation, it is still the case that there are only male clergy in the Catholic Church. Mm. And, you know, she would ask questions why can't women be priests? And I said, it's a problem. It's a real problem. And it is still, and it is a space I choose to be in. I choose to put my family in. um, And there's no other space that I choose to subject my family to that is so patriarchal. So that, that, in that way, it is a challenge, amongst other things.
0: And do you find with your kiddos, how do they, how do they navigate? Like holding, like, I'm sure because, because of your love for the, like the spirituality and certain parts of the religion that, that you're, you're modeling that for your kids and how, how are you noticing any, any struggles with navigating the gender roles and the patriarchy and also the love for the religion? You
1: know, I think, I think something that's great is that my kids ask a lot of questions. I wonder where that comes from. Um, (laughs) But they ask a lot of questions. They are not shy to voice their confusion or they're not shy to voice when they think something is not, you know, that's not consistent. Why, you know, why would this be? So, but I also think that they understand that the world is imperfect and the world is imperfect in many different ways. and certainly, I mean, and this is going to be very interesting, I think, years from now, you know, talk about the world being imperfect, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, uh, pandemic, human rights violations, a lot of the crazy things that we are hearing from people who are supposedly leaders in Washington, there is no way. I think as a child or even as a uh, a teenager coming out, I could have anticipated that this would be the world in which we are you know we are raising children especially given the fact that you know my 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 first child was born at the time of Obama when everything seemed possible from a human rights perspective, right? Uh, or many things I should say seemed possible from a human rights perspective. So so they I mean, I think what a, a lesson that a lot of children their age are 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 getting, unfortunately right now, in a very upfront immediate way is that there is a lot of imperfections. We strive to we strive to uh to address the imperfections that need addressing. And there are some imperfections that we may look at as imperfections now and we later see the beauty in. So, you know, life is a negotiation. <laughs> yeah.
0: Such important skills for kids to have. I, cause I just remember growing up, I think I grew up in a bubble of just not realizing just the magnitude of how imperfect the world is and, yeah. and, you know, living in this like small suburb that was mostly Jewish, mostly white, like not getting any kind of real world education of like what life actually is and looks like, I think was a real disservice. Not, it's no one's fault. It just, that's what happened. That's just how I grew up. But I think you're right. Like a silver lining of all of what's going on right now is preparing our, the children are our future. And I'm looking forward to the future that they're going to yeah. <laughs> bring to us. Um, I want to, I, we, when in our, in our debrief or our pre-brief, I don't know what the right word is uh, for this conversation, we, we t- touched on this idea of like reaching out to the stranger um, yeah. or the outcast. And I had, I had voiced some like wonderings about that and i have still been yeah. thinking about it of wonder, like just thinking about the frame, the framing of calling, calling certain people outcasts or strangers when we're really actually trying to create equity so everyone it feels that they belong in in an equal way in an equitable yeah. way and i don't and i just i think i'm still struggling with the idea of naming it as stranger or outcast and i'm just wondering what if you have a different framing or a different thought
1: so i was so i was thinking about that a little bit right yeah. because also i i was thinking about the way it was hitting you and i was thinking it was at, if i'm right it was hitting you kind of in the way that you know there's the the kind of um like the way somebody thinks of western oriental what's the perspective right so mm-hmm. in order to c- call somebody a stranger am, am I right in order to call somebody an outcast or stranger you're 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 assuming a point of origin or
0: you're assuming kind of a point of normalcy yeah Is that a right default like a, yeah like a cis normative yeah. heteronormative. This yeah, is, this is right. The point of origin. And I'm just like an outcast that you right. like, have to bring in.
1: And yeah. I think that, I think in some ways I am comfortable thinking of it like that because looking at things from a, you know, like my, my family is from another country. My wife is from another country and a whole other continent, right. <laughs> Than you know, my parent, like, so the way that one looks at the concept of stranger or out or where that point of origin, I'm so used to the point of origin shifting mm. in my space. So I could look at point of origin, like from an immigrant rights perspective, when I'm looking at my family, either my wife who's from Ethiopia, or my parents who are from the Philippines and thinking about how they are considered strangers, outcasts, you know, et cetera because they're from other countries. I also think about it how culturally from, you know, their different different cultural perspectives. Like when I was talking about my coming out story with my parents and thinking about what was considered strangers or different or outcasts from them. So the point of origin shifts, continues to shift, right? And I think of this so much, I think also in my current work, because I think so much of what we are seeing in terms of these waves of, you know, white supremacy and nationalism, white nationalism, is is because somehow in the context of um, of their lives, whoever it is, they are also somehow feeling othered. They feel as though something has turned and they are now othered, right? And of course, there's many critiques of that, but from my my perspective as a person who is convinced that we need to embrace human rights and we can't give up on people, anyone, I am also constantly thinking, well, how do I get, how do I get other folks to see those people as not the outcast? How do I, how do we bridge that divide? How do we have those conversations? How do we talk to people? Because we can't exist. It's not sustainable, I think, for us to exist as for us to always think there's a good and a bad, right? Whoever is thinking of whoever as good or bad. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: So, so anyway, that's a very (laughs) convoluted way of saying, I think for me, the point of origin shifts. And, And so, that's why i find it comforting cuz the re, the rea- the reality i think is that you know pick the pick the category the identity the issue there's always going to be this form of othering
0: mm-hmm. somehow that's helpful <laughs> that's a helpful framework and it's i love i'm someone who just loves building empathy and bringing people along and I think what you were just naming is a form of empathy of like you you also are depending on the point of origin are a stranger depending um so i i really appreciate that framework thanks for thanks for for bearing bearing with me through that sure sure (laughs) um so and, and in the same in the same kind of topic you said that your parents taught you taught you this of of reaching out to the most vulnerable um is that, is that part of what drives the work that you do now or is there, are there other parts of your life or your identities or, or what, what inspires you to do the work that you're doing now?
1: Uh, one, I think absolutely that drives a lot of the work I do. I think it's just foundational in me mm-hmm. because of that, because that's something that was ingrained in me from such a young age. Um, and that, I mean, the, the, self, the kind of selfish part of it, is it's also what makes me feel good, Right that gives me a sense of being and, and makes me feel um, like a good person. Um, So that's part of it. I think it is also true that, you know, because of that, I have always gravitated in towards spaces um, where people, you know, where people who are, Um, vulnerable who are feeling vulnerability because of whatever the issue are gravitated to to them in terms of my personal community gravitated towards them in terms of my professional work Um, you know and of course it's very personal to me um, given the different identity characteristics that I have as well as the people that I love, you know, my friends, relatives, etc. So, it is—it's um, a very personal pursuit for me. Mm-hmm.
0: Same with the work that I do. It's very, very personal. <laughs> Working at I Keshet. Yeah. Um, I want to shift gears a little bit and talk about. I- I'm really curious if you have a ring of keys moment and. Um, for those of you listening who don't know what a Ring of Keys moment is, it's an idea from the graphic novel slash Broadway show, Fun Home. Um, and it's, it's the idea of when you see yourself in someone else for the first time, creating a sense of possibility. Um, it's like a true moment of visibility and connection. And I'm wondering if you, actually it's just a twofold question. If, what, if, if you have had one of those moments seeing yourself in someone else, and if you've been that person for someone else that you're aware of. Sure.
1: Well, I will say that um, I remember. So the the ring of key, it's a song, right? Mm-hmm. In Fun yeah. Home, mm-hmm. and I had forgotten it was an actual song, and so I was able to like go back and play the song, which was nice. Yeah, <laughs> and I re- and it made me remember when I was actually watching. I had the the um, the great opportunity to watch Fun Home. And when I remember watching it, and the thing that came to my mind was the thing that immediately came to mind when I was listening to the song again. When I was in college, uh, when I was in college, I met a professor. Her name is Kathy Cohen. She now teaches in Chicago, um, but she was, she was. I'm trying to think if she was the first. She might have been the first professor or teacher that I've ever had who was a queer woman of color. And um, I took every class. I I would love to see Kathy Cohen again. I don't know if Kathy Cohen will ever hear this, but, Mm -hmm. and I don't even know if she knows how meaningful she is in my life, but um, I took every class that Kathy Cohen had or offered uh, in my college career. And it was so exciting for me to see somebody who was in my mind, unafraid to be who they are, who was public about it, who was in this position of authority um, and had the ability to teach and influence the way other people would think about different issues. Like I I, I think, um, I'm trying to remember what the first class I took with her was, but I, the, one of the classes that I remember very well was a class that at the time was called Blacks in the Law, um, where she, she had popped into one of those classes. I think somebody else was actually teaching and she had popped into it, but I had also taken other seminar classes with her. And prior to meeting her, I had never met someone who was a, a queer woman of color, in that type of role. And it's, I, I just remember, it so excited me to know that, you know, I could be in a position like that one day that I could be speaking from my own personal life experience. I could be delving into the communities that mattered to me because I was also a part of those communities. And she gave me the language, to talk about power and agency and, you know, community in a way that I had not had prior in my life. So, so definitely it was, it was meeting Kathy Cohen.
0: That's amazing. I, um, I just recently reconnected with a rabbi of mine from when I was younger, um, who really was, um, special to me. And we lost touch over many decades and I found her and was able to share with her the impact that she had on me. Um, and so, and, and she was so grateful to hear from me. And now it's, um, it's just, so I just, I say that because you wondered about, you know, your professor and, um, wonder, I wonder what that reunion would feel like if you were. To, if <laughs> I you know were to... <laughs>
1: this, this is, this is quickly becoming a reunion show. Yeah. You know, right. <laughs> I'll host it all. <laughs> right.
0: Bring out our next guest. Just kidding. Right. Um, and then what about for you? Have you been that, that source of visibility to other people that you, that you know of? Um, I think I have been. And, mm-hmm. you know, so in
1: my, in my work as the chair and commissioner of the agency, I am, again, I'm so privileged to be in communities throughout the city, um, speaking with people, you know, people of different backgrounds, neighborhoods, ages, et cetera, about human rights and different human rights related issues. And for a lot of people also introducing them to new human rights related issues or introducing them to the concept of why something is a human right. Mm mm-hmm why certain communities need human rights-related protections, right? And in that work, I do a lot of school assemblies. I do a lot of things with youth. And one of my favorite things to do when I'm at a school assembly, so it's like usually an auditorium filled with these, you know, uh, young students. One of my favorite things is the moment at which I come out. You know, I either reference my wife or I talk about being a queer women of color or, or something. Mm-hmm. And, you know, there, it's a student. So at first when I'm talking, some of the students might just be like, you know, checking their phones or whatever. And yeah. I love, there's always this moment when I come out where I could see like the wave of like across a, a row of students. Mm-hmm. There was a, what did she say? Just, mm-hmm. And then afterwards, some of the students from that come up to me and they're just, Telling me things.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: They're not even asking me things. They're just telling me. They'll tell me that they're queer. They'll tell me that they're non-binary. They'll tell me that they think X, Y, and Z. And they'll tell me about what's happening, You know, how that is how, how how that identity issue is is developing in the context of their school or their family or their um, faith community. And, and- I think for a lot of folks, you know, you know, I think one of the things that was hard for my parents, my immigrant parents, when I was growing up, is they, they thought, how, sh- how will she have a future?
0: Mm-hmm. She
1: will always be, you know, she'll always be denigrated. People will shun her. How will she have a future? I think that's the fear of a lot of, um, of immigrant families when they find out that they have a queer child. And, you know, I, I now like to have these conversations with my parents or some of my relatives thinking about that history. And then also recognizing that the success to the extent that someone looks at my career or looks at my position and deems that a success. So much of that was predicated on the fact that I am a queer person of color, mm-hmm. that I embraced it and that I've done work with that from that place of power and self-love you know yeah and so I think it is it is revelatory for some of these students when they're like wow she's saying that she is and she's a commissioner and she has this government power and she's here wow and she's Asian you know for some (laughs) folks Mm -hmm. or she's Catholic you know for some folks Mm -hmm. so I think it is revelatory for some folks yeah yeah
0: I love that so much. I have, when you, when you are, we're describing the auditorium, I also, in the work that I do with Keshet, I used to travel the country speaking and teaching. Um, and I often am they you know, the person that where students have never met a trans Jew before or seen themselves reflected in an adult who's, you know, like exactly what you're saying. And it's in, a, in the same way, when I'm done talking, they come up to me and tell me things. Yeah. And it's just, they need the space. They need the safe. I, I, what I'm gathering is they need a safe space to be able to say whatever it is that they're thinking about. Um, or they've like,
1: just been holding in. To, they've been holding this in and they're so excited to tell you because they're finally, it's like this exhale moment for them. Right. Yeah.
0: Yeah. yeah it's really, I, I, that's one of my favorite parts of my job. And the other one is, and with adults too, when I, when I'm facilitating trainings with adults and I, talk about different identities or different ways that you can exist. Um, Like you said earlier with, um, with Kat Cohen, is that, was that her name? Kathy Cohen. Oh, Kathy Cohen. I'm sorry. Kat Cohen's a a comedian. Um, Like giving, giving you the, the language of like, oh, this is, this is a possibility. And I think that's what happens too in these trainings with adults of, them coming to the realization same that I have of like oh that's a thing oh I can be that and it's it really is this moment of exhale of oh like I found you know for me it was I found I finally found my place in the world I figured it out for because I struggled for 29 years trying to fit myself in a binary that I didn't exist in and once I learned that genderqueer was a thing it was like oh well that makes sense Oh, wow.
1: <laughs> that, I mean, yeah. when I hear stories like that, it just, it you know, it just makes my heart kind of glow
0: because
1: mm. I feel like, and, and I don't know if this is your feeling, but for some people, especially younger people, I think when they have that moment, there's also just this feeling of, <sighs> I'm going to be okay. Mm-hmm. I can be okay. You know? Yeah
0: definitely. And as I've, as I've navigated trying to figure out what being genderqueer means to me, um, because there's not, of course, not one right way, only one way to be genderqueer. Um, But I think I I am still fighting those urges of like, am I trans enough? Am I this enough? And as I'm fighting that and Moving to keep moving to continue to do things that are affirming to who I am, like I just started hormone replacement therapy a few months ago. Wow, that's big dubs! Yeah, thanks. Yeah, it's um, but it took me a really long time to undo the internalized transphobia and the ideas of can I be on hormones if I don't identify as a trans man and what does that feel like and what does that look like? And each Each time that I'm, you know, I had top surgery four years ago. And like, so all of these different, I guess we could call them milestones of, of, or touch points of finding who I am. Um, it's another like exhale and it's another, Oh, now this makes sense. Right. And it's, I just, it's, it's wild to me that it keeps happening (laughs) but as I, well, you you know, and so appropriate for the topic
1: of, you know, what you do, but yeah. And Because I love it's like, so everybody has, everyone has multiple coming out stories, right? Mm -hmm. Because there's different ways and there's different things in our lives where we continue to come out to ourselves even Mm -hmm. on different things. Yeah. I mean, and conceptually just thinking of coming out, like, I just think of it more as like, what are we, how are we revealing ourselves to each other? Coming out is hard because in some ways it is such a Western concept, mm-hmm. you know, and we, 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 we use that term in other spaces. They're kind of like, I think we would look at their lives and see them as people who were out, but the idea of like coming out is different than how somebody else might talk about it more as like, you know, a, an exploration of self-identity and, you know, what what the layers of the onion that continue to, to be peeled and
0: revealed, right? Mm-hmm. Um, it's like, this is like the perfect segue to kind of circle back to Fun Home um, and empathy and all this. Um, so I, when I saw Fun Home, Lauren Patton was playing Medium Owl. Um, yeah. And I, I met Lauren through watching her in Fun Home. And I tweeted at her to come and do Thank You For Coming Out. And at the time she was identifying as a straight ally. And so, um, at the, at that time I had never had an ally show before, but I was like, well, let's make an ally show and see what that will be like. <laughs> um, cause I really wanted Lauren to come do the show. Yeah. Um, but what stuck out to me was one of the stories that she told was kind of what you were talking about here. Like we are all peeling away layers of our onion, whether or not it's LGBTQ or not, it's, you know, coming into ourselves as humans, and yeah, you she use that kind of—I don't know if she's an onion metaphor—but that idea of we're all in the closet about something, whether it's our, you know, whatever it is, um, and that that creates empathy and understanding, um, to help you know build bridges and you know. Make I mean, a- in so many ways, because yeah. it
1: also I think encourages a patience, right? Mm-hmm. Like, things happen in their time, things are happening in their time. Hmm. So.
0: Yeah. Um, okay, I don't want to do this, but I have to move us into our last segment, um, which is a uh, very fun, just like rapid fire question and answer. Ooh, so just, okay. um, just whatever comes to mind first. There are no right or wrong answers, except one. But again, it's just it's all silly for fun and games. Okay, um, pencil or pen? Pencil. Acting or singing? Singing. Dogs or cats? Dogs. Even though I had three cats. <laughs> okay (laughs) beach or mountains beach meat or veggies meat bagels or donuts uh both okay great train or plane train sweet or salty that's tough both coke or pepsi do i have to either pass Uh, uh night or day uh night and favorite
1: kitchen item favorite kitchen item
0: uh what's my favorite kitchen probably a knife great so many people say knife lots of people say knife I don't know I, I don't know mine is
1: I think it's a spatula you know, I was, thinking, I was thinking of my favorite spatula, the one that, like, we have many spatulas in the drawer, but if that one is in the dishwasher or something, I'm like, I'll wash it. <laughs> so I was thinking, should I say that? But actually, I, I thought there's, it's hard for me to do anything if I don't have a knife. Mm-hmm.
0: That's true. That makes sense. Um, Carmelyn, thank you so much for, for spending the morning with me and all of our listeners. This was really special. Thank you. This was
1: a lot of fun. This was a lot of fun. And again, it's helping me also with another layer of onion. It's
0: good to be thinking about these things. Awesome. Thank you for coming out. Thanks again. Thank you for coming out. Hey, it's Dubs Weinblatt, your host of Thank You For Coming Out. Thank you so much for listening with an open heart and an open mind. Please subscribe to our podcast on the platform of your choice. And don't forget to rate and review us. It really helps.